0: Well, a very good morning to everyone. If you'd open up a Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel 18, we're going to begin by looking at a passage here in the Old Testament that will kind of get our minds thinking in the direction that we need to be thinking for these next few minutes. 2 Samuel chapter 18, we'll jump out of the Old Testament pretty quickly though and we'll be in the New Testament for the remainder of our time this morning. It is great to see everybody this morning, and considering all the folks that are traveling, we do indeed have a fine number. We have lots of folks who are guests with us today, and we appreciate so much that you've come to be with us, and we hope that you find everything that we say and do today to be found in keeping with the teaching of the New Testament. That'll be especially true even right now for these next few minutes. Weigh the things that I'm going to say against the Word of God, make sure that they, they, they match up. And if they don't, you bring that to my attention. We'll sit down, we'll talk about that with an open Bible and come to a better understanding of what God's will is for our lives. Let's get to it this morning. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, I'm reading here in the first three verses. In 2 Samuel 18, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then David mustered the men who were with him. And he set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeriah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to them, I myself will also go out with you. Notice verse 3 now. But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you, you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. want you to center on that statement there in verse 3, that David, you are worth 10,000 of us. David, you are such a valuable and integral part and asset of Israel that if we were to just appraise your value as a person, as a human being, you would be worth more than all of these brave soldiers combined. Wow! It's an amazing statement, isn't it? That's quite a compliment in many ways. It says a lot about about David and what people thought of David. It says a lot about his character and his abilities and his importance to the people of Israel at that time. Why, in the eyes of his men, David was worth a lot. Which begs the question this morning, what are you worth? Have you ever sat down and thought about that? If you could place a price tag on your head, what would your value be as a person? Well, I guess how you answer that question really depends on how you approach the question. For example, we can attempt to answer that question in a very scientific kind of way. According to the U.S. Bureau of uh, Chemistry and Soils, your body is made up of the following chemicals and minerals. 65% of you is made up of oxygen, 18% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 3% nitrogen, 1.5% calcium, and then your body is made up of 1% or less of all kinds of different minerals and chemicals, phosphorus, potassium, chlorine, zinc, copper, aluminum, etc., etc. All of which I am told is worth a little less than a dollar. Now, you could add a little bit more to that as you're thinking about your composition. You could add to that the value of your skin. The average person has about 14 square feet of skin. You add that up, and I'm kind of measuring this based on like what cowhide is worth, that would value out to about $3.50. So if you add that up, you, scientifically, you're worth less than five bucks. Wow, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? On the other hand, we could value you in a different way. On the black market, in a body parts, human chop-chop kind of sense, you're worth quite a bit more. For example, your heart is worth about 57 grand on the black market. A kidney is worth almost 100 grand. A lung is over 100 grand. Your antibodies really start raising the value. 7.3 million dollars. Your DNA, 9.7 million dollars. Your bone marrow, 23 million dollars. See some people right now, they're getting that look in their eyes like cha-ching. Let me remind you, this is illegal. Young people, don't get any thoughts in your mind here about whacking off body parts to go and sell them. But if you do the math there in the human body chop shop, you are worth about $45 million. Now, of course, none of that would do you any good. That money wouldn't do you any good because in order to get all of that value out of your body, what would have to happen? You'd have to die, and so you wouldn't actually get that value out of it. You know, what I want to know, what I think you want to know, is what am I worth as a living, breathing person? Well, as is so wonderful about the internet, I actually found a website. There is a website where you can actually determine that particular value. It's called humanforsale.com. And it provides a very subjective kind of questionnaire. And you go through and you start answering all the questions. And it will help you to figure out exactly what you are worth. And so, I took the test. And after asking all kinds of questions and after filling that out and after measuring all of my physical and mental and emotional and lifestyle and personality factors, I am happy to report to you this morning that Josh McKibben is worth a total of $3,163,150. Yes! That's the closest my wife is ever going to get to being married to a millionaire. Now, of course, we look at that and we kind of chuckle about it. In fact, we look at all of these different methods of calculating a person's worth and let's be honest about it. None of us takes this kind of stuff seriously. I mean, come on, how can you really put a price tag on a human life that one person would be more valuable than another? You know, those of you that are parents, you have probably said before about your your children, you've said things like, you know, my kids, they're worth everything to me. That's a huge price tag. Or, you know, maybe on the other hand, somebody throughout your lifetime has said to you, you ain't worth a plug nickel. Whoa, that's kind of at the other end of the extreme. But those kinds of values, they don't accurately measure a person's worth, do they? Because that's just a matter of human conjecture, of human opinion. In fact, I would dare say it is a lot of those human opinions and conjecture that causes a lot of people to have really inflated egos because they've been told they're worth so much. And it causes other people to have really small self-esteem and very little self-worth because people have told them they're not worth much. Well, this morning, I'm not looking for some random figure that's going to be churned out by a computer or a machine. And I'm really not even interested in what some scientist has to say in a lab about my worth. What I want to know is I want to know, what am I worth in God's eyes? And I should hope that you are equally curious about that. What are you worth to God? He created you, didn't He? He created me. He is the manufacturer, if you will, which means He should get to determine the manufacturer's sale price, right? Well, the good news is this morning, as we think about this idea of, what am I worth to God? We don't have to sit around and wonder about that. We're not left to our own devices to try and figure out what we might be worth to the Lord. The Bible actually tells us. Look in John chapter 3 with me. In John, the third chapter, the Bible tells us exactly what I am worth and what you are worth in the eyes of God. In John, chapter 3, I'm reading in verse number 16. In John three sixteen, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What John 3.16 says definitively is that you, you are worth a son to God. And not just any son, but the son, the spotless son of God, that, that is what you are worth. I want you to just Sit on that for a moment. Just bask in that for a minute. Think about John chapter 3 and verse 16 in very personal terms. You know, I'm afraid too often we read that verse about God loving the whole world and that just seems so, just seems so broad, it seems so, so massive, it seems so impersonal. And as a result, we don't think about it on a very individual kind of level. In fact, let's reread that verse using more personal terminology. For God so loved you. In fact, just, just put your name in there. For God so loved Susan. For God so loved Sandy. For God so loved Jared. God so loved you that He gave His only Son. That if you believe in Him, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved you so much that He gave His Son to die for your sins so that you could go and live with Him for all of eternity. You, you are worth a son to God. Now for some of us, that may be really, really hard for us to to accept. Because it is possible that you have went through your life and you have maybe had people who are close to you, friends, maybe even family members, who have made you feel... Just the opposite. They have made you feel like you are not worth anything. Maybe certain people in your life have made you feel stupid or ugly or unimportant or irrelevant or useless. And the only way that you could ever gain their acceptance was if you jumped through a bunch of hoops. If you measured up to their particular set of standards that they decided and they imposed. Perhaps, for example, maybe as a young person, maybe you had to make straight A's in school. You had to be the valedictorian. You had to win all kinds of scholarships in order for mama and daddy to truly value you as a person. Perhaps you had to be the star athlete. You had to win all kinds of awards for your, your athletic achievement. Perhaps you had to follow in the family business, had to follow in the footsteps and become a doctor or a lawyer, do whatever the family business was, in order to really feel like you were worth something to the people that you love the most. Well, let me give you a news flash this morning. God doesn't care about any of that stuff. You didn't have to measure up to God... In order for Him to send Jesus for you. God did not send Jesus because you were smart enough or because you were athletic enough or because you were pretty enough or cool enough or successful enough. No sir, no ma'am. God didn't do anything like that. God sent Jesus because He loved you just for you. And the Bible tells us that. Look in 1 John 4, please. In 1 John chapter 4, John tells us that God's love, it was not contingent on our ability to do something or anything for Him. In 1 John chapter 4, look in verse number 9. In 1 John 4 and in verse 9, John writes here, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, it's not that we did anything special to somehow earn God's love. We didn't jump through all kinds of hoops to to get God's attention, to gain His affections. We're down here doing all kinds of stuff. Hey God, look at me. Look at what I did for you. Aren't you impressed with me? Don't you love me now? No. None of that. From day one, God said, I created you. You are made in my image. I love you. You are worth a son to me. And you know what? That is a profound idea. I think that is the basis for real self-worth, for real self-esteem in this life. And you know what? That's especially profound whenever you couple it with this second idea. And that is that you are worth a son to God despite your sins. Now, if you're like me, you don't really struggle with the first half of all of that. You don't get all caught up in, you know, this business of, of feeling like you failed to measure up because you you've been made to feel stupid or ugly or, you know, less than in some way. Uh, that's easy for me to see past that. That's all just a bunch of superficial nonsense. But when we come to this, when we start talking about sin, that's where I start having a little bit of a struggle. It is very difficult for me to then fathom that even despite my sins, I could be worth a son to God. And the reason for that is, is because I know. I know how bad I really am. I know the bad things that I have done. I know how many bad things I have done in my life. I know just how far I fall short. And of course, whenever I come into the midst of an assembly like this on a Sunday morning, where there's so many good people, righteous people, people who are seeking after God's things, I am reminded of just how far I fall short. Now look at all the good Christian men and women who are gathered around me, some of whom have been serving the Lord faithfully for decades, half a century, maybe even more than that. And I am confident that, yeah, Jesus died for them. There's no doubt about it, Jesus died for them because they're such good people. They don't go out and just willfully and regularly lie and cheat and steal and lust and gossip and fornicate and drink and cuss and do all these kinds of things. No, no, they're godly men and godly women. God certainly sent Jesus for them. But for me, I know the sins that I've committed. Would you look in Romans the fifth chapter, please? In Romans chapter 5, Paul reminds us that our value to God, it has nothing to do with how good or how righteous we are. In fact, Paul tells us we are quite the opposite. In Romans chapter 5, look with me beginning in verse 6. In Romans 5 beginning in verse 6, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8 now, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says that Jesus died for the ungodly. He didn't die because we were godly enough. And Paul says that Jesus died while we were still weak. Jesus didn't die because we were strong enough. And Paul even says that Jesus died while we were still sinners. He didn't die because we were righteous enough. God did not look down from heaven and say, All right, all of you down there who measure up to my perfect standard, I'm going to send my Son for you. No. Jesus died for you and for me by virtue of nothing about us. In fact, if God would have sent His Son to this earth to die only on behalf of people who were righteous through and through, then what would have happened? Jesus never would have come. Because as Romans 3 and verse 10 reminds us, none is righteous, no, not one. And what that means then practically speaking is that Jesus did not die for you because you came to church enough. Jesus did not die for you because you did enough good deeds. Jesus did not die for you because you got baptized enough. No, Jesus died for you because when God looked down the stream of time, looked down through the history of mankind, and He saw you, He saw you plodding along just aimlessly, just making a mess of your life with sin and wickedness and self-desires and pleasures, God said, I want to help you. I see that guy there. He's just making a total mess of everything. I want to help him. I love him. I love you so much that even when you are acting very, very unlovable, you're worth a son to me. You're worth a son to me despite your sins. And that sometimes can take a while to come to that realization and come to that acceptance, but we must reach that point. That that is how much we are worth to God. And as soon as I get a grasp of that understanding in my own life, then it is important for me to then grasp this third idea, and that is that your neighbor also is worth a son to God. Just take a look around this room right now. Take a look maybe at the person sitting to your right, or to your left, or in front of you, or behind you. God did the same thing for that person as God did for you. God sent Jesus to die for them. I want you to think for just a second about who is the very best person that you know or have ever known. The person that maybe you have admired the most throughout their life because of their their faith in the Lord, their service to the Lord. Think about how godly that person was. Think about how spiritually minded that person was. Think about how much that person, yes, they deserve Jesus. And there's no doubt about it. Jesus did die For that person, whoever it is you're thinking about now. Now hit the reset button. Try to think for a second now about the most despicable and deplorable person that you've ever known or that you can even imagine. Think about the most vile of sinners that have ever walked the face of this earth. Serial killers, pedophiles and child molesters, rapists terrorists, Osama Bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, people of that vein. you thinking about somebody right now? Well, believe it or not, Jesus died for that person too. Your best friend, but also your worst enemy. The people who've done everything in life to help you, and as well the people who have made your life absolutely miserable. Jesus died for people at both ends of the spectrum and everywhere in between. They are all worth a son to God. Which begs the question of us this morning, what do you see when you look at others? Are you able to look past just kind of the the exterior, the shell, when you look at other people? Are you able to look past things like the color of a person's skin or that person's education level? Their family tree, their background, their economic standing. Are you able to look past all of those kinds of things and to simply see people the way that Jesus saw people? How did Jesus see people? Look in Mark chapter 9, please. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, I'll show you how Jesus viewed people. In Matthew chapter 9, look here in verse 36. In Matthew 9 and verse 36, He's here, there's all these crowds of people that are thronging around Him, thronging to see Him. In Matthew 9, verse 36, the Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what Jesus saw when He looked at people? Jesus saw a soul. That's what Jesus saw. Jesus saw a soul that needed to be taught. He saw a soul that needed pity and mercy and compassion. He saw a soul that needed direction like a sheep needs direction from its shepherd. Jesus saw souls that needed to be saved. Now on the outside, they would have looked different depending on each one. This person may have been dirty and poor. This person over here might have been rich and had on nice clothes. This person over here might have had a smile on their face. This person over here might have just been downright mean and ugly. But it didn't matter to Jesus. Jesus just saw people. And what Jesus would have asked would have been, Do you have a soul? And since the answer to that is yes, then Jesus' response is, I care for you. You're worth something to me. And oh, how I think we desperately need some help in this particular department. I think sometimes we as the people of God need some help with this. You know, just as a society in general, we have become very jaded, very cynical, very judgmental in a lot of ways. And as a result, we tend to look at people kind of through kind of through those darkly tinted glasses, if you will. We just immediately assume about someone, oh he'll, he'll never be interested in the Lord. He'll never get his life straightened up. Oh, she no, she's she's just got such a rough background. There's no way she would ever be interested in being a Christian and trying to walk the straight and narrow path. And we think that because of what's going on in our world today. We see homosexuals parading through the street and flaunting their sin. We see terrorists bombing government buildings. We hear the things that all the so-called experts, the scientists and the professors, as they push the theory of general evolution. We see all of these just outright abominations in our world. And all we can immediately think when we see that is we think, these people are going to hell. Do you see what they're doing? Do you hear what they're saying? They're going to hell. And what we fail to remember is that Jesus died for each and every one of those people. Just like He died for me. Now, maybe we see some of those examples of that. We see the people on the news and we hear the people who are talking the loudest. And Maybe those people, yes, maybe they are deeply immersed in their sinful ways and in their sinful kind of thinking. And it may be that they don't really seem to care at all. But you know what? God would still say, they are worth something to me. And so, shouldn't they be worth something to us? Aren't they worth talking to about the gospel? Aren't they worth even just a moment of our time and our devotion to help them to learn and even the time to help them to grow? Aren't they worth our prayers? Talked about prayer this morning in Bible class. Aren't they worth our prayers? Even those individuals, think about this, even those individuals that maybe we've known personally who are just bad people who've hurt us, who have mistreated us, they've done mean and awful things to us personally, aren't they worth us giving up our bitterness and our resentment? Aren't they worth forgiving so that we might then demonstrate to them the mercy and the love that is found in Christ Jesus? I think about Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. In Titus 2 and verse 11, Paul writes there that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation For just a select few? No. Titus 2 verse 11 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And that certainly includes you. And that certainly includes the people who are closest to you and that you care about the most. But you know what? That also includes those other neighbors in your life. Those fellow people who live on your street, who work in your office. Those people that we pass in the grocery store. Every soul is worth a son to God. Let me ask you, is every soul worth that much to you? Maybe the most important question of all this morning then, in light of these truths, is this. What is your soul worth to you? What is your soul worth to you? Jesus died so that you might live eternally. We've established that. And so how much do you value your eternal soul? You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus actually asked that very question. In Matthew chapter 16, there in verses 24 and 25, Jesus says that if you want to save your life, you're going to have to lose it. You'll need to pick up your cross and you'll need to follow Him daily. But then Jesus goes on to say that if you choose not to do that, verse 26, He asks... What then will you give in exchange for your soul? And I really don't think that Jesus is asking that intending to actually get an actual answer. He's asking that very rhetorically. What could you possibly give in exchange for your soul? What is it that is possibly worth more to you than your eternal soul? A few minutes of pleasure... Here on this earth, enjoying sin and self? Is that all that your soul could possibly be worth to you? Remember, go back to point number one. You are worth a son to God. A son. And what that says to me is that says that God wants you to be in heaven. And He wants you to be in heaven so badly that He would send His son to this earth and to suffer and to die in unimaginable ways. God has went to extraordinary lengths to save your soul for all of eternity, which is why when I look at Jesus' words there in Matthew the 16th chapter, as I see Him saying this stuff about sacrificing my life in order to follow Him, I don't not look at that and think of that as some kind of a big burden. Oh, I sacrifice stuff. I've got to follow Him. I've got all these rules that I got to follow now. Ah, oh, what, a, what a heavy burden. What a drudge that is. It's going to make the idea of going to heaven even that much harder now. I just don't know if I can do all of that. Are you kidding me? God has not just given us a bunch of arbitrary rules, a bunch of, bunch of legislation. God has not given us all of this stuff in order to make our journey from here to heaven more difficult. No, God has given us His commandments, His precepts, His principles in Scripture in order to make that journey from here to there easier for us. For example, God did not say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together in order to just create a big old bind on your time. Oh, give all these hours on Sunday to go into church now. No, God gave that commandment because assembling with the brethren is something that will help you go to heaven. Or you know, God did not say pray without ceasing in order to just establish in your life some daily rule about prayer. No, God said that because praying helps you to go to heaven. And God did not say things like let your light shine before others in order to give us just a bunch of busy work that we've got to do during all of the other hours of our week. No, God said that because letting our light shine helps us to go to heaven. God has given us these things. He has given us His Word to assist us in our walk toward eternal life. And why? Because He loves us. Because He loves our soul. And so the question is this morning, do I love my soul that much? Is my soul worth surrendering self? Surrendering my wants? Giving up all of my desires and instead surrendering my life? To the will of the King. Is my soul worth letting go of all of those sins? All of those habits that maybe I I, I treasure and all. I love doing those things. I love being this way. Is my soul worth giving all that up? Letting all that go? Putting all of that in the past so that I can live for Him? Is my soul worth giving up all of those lame excuses about how burdensome, how hard God's commands are? Is my soul worth that much to me? I hope you realize that last question there. I can't answer that for you. That is very individual in nature. I'll have to answer that for myself. You'll have to answer that for yourself. But I think I can give you what the right answer is. In Galatians 2 and verse 20, one final passage this morning. In Galatians 2 verse 20, let's listen to a man who is ready to give an answer. To that last question. What is my soul worth to me? The Apostle Paul will tell us. In Galatians 2 and in verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. There it is again. That I am worth a son to God. He gave His Son for me. And so Paul says, because of that fact, I gladly give myself to Him in return. I'm asking you this morning, have you, are you able to make those words your very own? If you have not yet surrendered your life to the Son of God, as Paul did and as so many people that are sitting in this building this morning have done, why not? What are you waiting on? What more possibly could be said to you than to stop and think about, number one, the value of your soul, and then secondly, how that value has been determined by the fact that God sent His Son to die for you. It is time today, if you have never put Jesus Christ on in baptism, it is time to get off the dime. Your soul is of supreme value. That means that you are of supreme value. You are of supreme value whether other people in the world acknowledge that or not. Even if sometimes the people that you love, even if they don't acknowledge that like they should, God says, You are of supreme value. You are worth a son. Why would you not take advantage of that truth this morning and act upon it immediately? Whatever your need may be, if we can assist you in becoming a child of God, or if we can help you brother or sister to be a more devoted and committed and faithful child of God, then we stand ready to do that. You are worth a son to God. And So right now, what is Jesus worth to you? Answer that right now while we stand and while we sing.